Yeah, clap your hands. <laughs> well, that little video right there was amazing, and last week was amazing, and what a day in the life of the church. Uh, church is about being who God wants it to be, and last week was kind of a picture of that. We kind of summed it up in a day. We came together, we got to see people baptized, and uh, we took communion together, we opened up God's Word, we worshiped together, and then in the evening we fellowshiped, we ate together, broke bread together, uh, we played together, had a sunset service, and I'm thinking the whole time, there's about 600 people, uh, between five and 600 people registered last Sunday up on the hill, which is a great day, and, uh, and so I'm thinking, the sunset celebration service was getting ready to begin, and it was really cloudy. And I, I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, I get it. You know, I do the sunset. Everything else was fantastic. Thank you. I was just thanking him. And right in the middle of the service, the, 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 the clouds lifted off the ridge. Just went, and a sunset came through. If you were here, was that not cool? Amen. It was just special. And, and so I, I want to say thank you to the Lord for making a great day in the life of the church and also for all the people who served and, and put that thing together and, and gave us a great day. So let's show the, show the Lord and those who served a, a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> and, and I'll just say, you, you guys look good today. You guys look good. I thought I'd tell you that. Y'all looking good. And so we're in a series in the book of Acts. It's called Can I Get a Witness? And we've covered chapters one, two, three, and it's amazing. We've seen the church uh, exponentially grow from its infancy when it had about 120 charter members. And then the Holy Spirit showed up and things just went nuts. And it went from, thir- from 120 to 3120 in like a day, uh, actually a couple hours of a sermon, I guess. And then, and then uh, Scripture says, and the church, God added to the church daily. So it's just growing. And then Peter preaches again, chapter 3, and 5,000 more men join, which... Women and children come along. So now the thing's like 25,000 people, and it's like a week or two old. Who knows? I mean, it's nothing. It's incredible what happens when what God says is supposed to happen happens. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said this, and he says, you guys stay in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses here and around the world. And 2,000 years later, that foundation, that core foundation that the church was built upon was so solid and so accurate. 2,000 years later, we're here. Isn't that not cool? I mean, what happened then is why we're here today. And and so we want to be that church. We want to be a church that gets it, a church that aligns with God's idea for the church. And quite honestly, it doesn't look like churches look all the time in our world today. So I had a message prepared for Acts chapter 4 because it's awesome. It's like, what do we do when, when things get tough? How do we stand things get tough? And I had it all ready, everything's good, and then the Lord's, it's like, let's not do that. Let's let's do something different. And so we're going to do something different today. And it's kind of out of my wheelhouse because I'm I'm wired to go through books of the Bible and just, it's kind of structured and get points and all that, which, and all of them start with the same letter because I'm weird, you know, and y'all have to deal with that because I'm apparently not getting over, over that. But then things change and, uh. And we, and we get to go in a different direction. So I'll, I'll launch into it like this. Why does Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4 and the rest of it even matter? Why does, why does the idea of us being filled with the Spirit and being witnesses to the world, why does that even matter? Why does the title of the series called Can I Get a Witness, why is that important today? Because our world is coming unglued. Our expression used to in my day was the screws are out and the sheet metal's flying off, okay? I mean, it's, it's, going, it's going berserk. And you and I walk in that. 
And if you don't know that, you got your head in the sand. If you think that everything that's happening, not just in the Middle East, but in our own backyard, if you think everything is cool and going just fine, you are confused. And, and so at some point, all of us wake up and say, man, things are coming unglued. And, and so here's the thing. W- what's going on? Well, in Acts chapter in Acts chapters 1, 2, and 3, the church is birthed and, and it's launched and it's spreading to the world. And when that happened, we entered as humanity, we entered a season. We entered what is theologically called a dispensation, a time period, okay? And a season, a dispensation, and a time period, they have a beginning and they have an end, <clears throat> And the dispensation or the season that you and I live in is called the church age. We're living in the church age, okay? And the church age had a beginning. And the beginning was when Jesus ascended to heaven and said, you guys hang on, we're starting a church, and it's going to be cool, all right? And the Holy Spirit breathed on them, and the church exploded, and it's been doing it for 2,000 years. But I want you to understand, every season and every dispensation has an ending. And we are rapidly approaching the end of a season, Now, what do I mean by that? It's been 2,000 years, right? I mean, when John wrote the book of Revelation, he thought Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime. When Peter wrote 1 and 2 Peter, when Peter was being the evangelist of the day, when Paul wrote a big part of the New Testament, he thought, they thought, Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And that's nearly 2,000 years ago, and he hadn't come yet. So you better know we're approaching the end of the dispensation, the end of the season. And so that's why You and I being witnesses to the world is so important because there is a day coming when we won't do that anymore, when Christians will be in heaven with Jesus and there'll be no witnessing because there ain't nobody up there but people that are saved. And so our opportunities will be gone. And so it's important that you and I dive into that. It's important that you and I understand that we have a part in that. So that's the beginning. We live in the dispensation, church age. What's the end? The end is when Jesus returns. You see, in the Bible, we read in the Old Testament that Jesus, the the Messiah, is coming. But we read more in the Old Testament that Jesus, the Messiah, is coming again. It talks more about his second coming than it does his first coming. Now, we can check the box. The Messiah has already come, right? Lived a perfect life died a perfect death on a cross, rose from the dead, ascended back to heaven. That's, that's the bookend on the left, the beginning of this season. But Jesus is coming back to close the season. And the dispensation of the church age will no longer exist. And that's why it's so important. Now, when is Jesus coming back? You'll have to ask God, and he won't tell you. Jesus didn't know when he was coming back. Jesus said, no man knows So if you ever hear somebody on television saying, oh, I've got a revelation, Jesus is coming back on November 15th at 3 o'clock in the morning, you can know with surety Jesus is not coming back on that day at that time. Okay, no man knows the day or the hour. Only the Father in heaven knows. But I want you to know the Father knows. And that end to this, this season, this dispensation, is on his calendar. And why has he waited 2,000 years? Well, the Bible tells us that too. You see, people just then just like now would ask they would scoff and they would say I don't think he's coming back I mean good grief he's been 50 years okay and so Peter wrote about it and today there's people that scoff when when somebody like myself says something about the second coming of Jesus or if you talk in your circle you say yeah I believe Jesus is coming back they'll look like you 
look at you like you've got three eyes, okay? Peter tells us this in 2 Peter. He says, the Lord is not slow like some people consider slow. The Lord is patient, willing that none perish, but that all have eternal life. The reason Jesus hadn't come back yet is because there's somebody he's waiting on to be saved. And I don't know who that last person is, and you don't know who that last person is, but when the last person is saved, when, when God flips the vacancy sign like at Myrtle Beach, no vacancy, okay, it's full, it's done, it's over. God will say, that's it, that's the church. Go get your church. It's called the harpazo, I like that. The catching away, the violent snatching away. He's gonna take us up out of here. In Thessalonians, it tells us it looks like this. In Thessalonians, it says that Jesus will, will come back and the dead in Christ will rise first. So they're, they're decayed bodies, the dust of decay. Maybe they were fell overboard in, a mil, in, in, in the Navy and they sunk to the bottom of the ocean. It doesn't matter where they are, where their dust is. God knows where they're at. And the Bible says that they will be resurrected with a glorified body, reunited with their spirits that have gone on to heaven uh, from when they died. And then those of us that remain, in other words, we're still alive, we will be caught up with them in the air. That's just cool. Only God can write a story like that. So listen what that, tangibly, people that have been dead for years and decades and centuries are going to be exhumed, reunited with their spirit, and we're going to see them. And about the time we see them and we go, what? Whew, we're out. I just think that's cool. I'm excited about that. If for no other reason I fly without any form of propulsion, okay? If, if just the fact that we are no longer bound by physical laws of nature. It's just cool. Now, now when I say that, sometimes there's people that they get a little squirrely and they're like, I don't, I don't know if I want it to happen right now because I just got out of college and I got a new career and I want to buy a new car or I just got married. Listen, all that stuff, it goes downhill. You launch into it big, it's a spiral from there. Okay. Now, not my family, not mine. Me and Kendra, we're... I'm talking to average people. Okay. Or they say, you know, we got married and I'm pregnant. I'm having a baby. Or we just had a baby and we're just enjoying our baby. Let me just clear all that up. Okay. If you enjoy your babies now, you ain't seen nothing yet because here they poop on themselves. I don't think they're doing that in heaven. I mean, I don't know. There's no scripture on that, but I'm, I'm just going out on a limb there, okay? They're not going to cry at you, spit on you. None of that in heaven. I don't, I don't think necessarily there's babies in heaven, but they'll be at some age, and, and we'll love them all the more because we will be in a place where there is no evil, where there is no sin, where there, is, where there are no products of sin, death, suffering, sadness, all of that gone. And we're in the presence of the God of the universe and the Savior of the world only with those who have embraced his grace and will live forever in heaven. I'm telling you right now, it trumps anything you could ever experience on this earth. Now, when we look at it in that light, all of a sudden, when we see what's going on in the Middle East and in our own backyard, although it's... It's alarming. It can be disheartening. It's not to create anxiety. It's not to make us fearful. It's not to sadden our hearts. It's to encourage us. In Thessalonians, when Paul wrote all that, at the end of it, he says, encourage each other with these words. 
You get it? It's good. It's good. Better than we can comprehend. And so that's what's at play here. But I want you to know God is being patient for 2,000. He's been patient for 2,000 years. His patience has a place of no return. When the patience is over, it's over. And when it's over, the love is retracted and the judgment pours out. And I believe, I don't care to tell you where I stand in regards to when that happens. I am a pre-tribulation rapture guy. Now, what does that mean? It means before the seven years of tribulation, the first three and a half mild tribulation, the Antichrist steps up and says, I am the Messiah. And then the second half, three and a half years come, it's, it's, it's wrath like nobody's ever seen, okay? I don't, believe we're, I don't believe we're in any of that. I believe the church is removed before that happens. If you read Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, it's all about the church. And then, and then Jesus says to, to John the Revelator, he says, I want you to come up here now and see what's going to happen next. It's a picture of the church being removed. We're not here. Now, there's all kinds of scripture to, to, to help me come, arrive at this point of a pre-tribulation rapture guy. There's other people who use scripture to come up with other things. But let me tell you one good reason I don't believe that we go through the tribulation, okay? You and I, if you're born again, the church is the bride, the forever bride of Jesus Christ. And the first thing that happens, one of the first things that happen when we go to heaven is we're married to Jesus. It's a celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, here's the thing. Who in the right mind takes their fiance behind the woodshed, gives them a good whip beat down before the wedding. I mean, what, what man wants their bride to show up like this? You know, raise the veil up. Ooh, let me put that back down. Okay. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. And, and I don't believe for a second God's going to whip his church before he unites her with Jesus. So we're not going to be in the tribulation. I believe that. We'll be caught up in the air with those who died before us, and we'll go to heaven. So when we talk about that, then, so that's what's next on God's prophetic timeline. It is the rapture of the church. There, there's no prophecies required to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back. I want you to know there's, there's nothing else, just his patience, willing that none perish, but that all have eternal life. That's the only thing. And so when his patience is over, he comes to get his church. Now, the things that are happening in this world help us know, with, quite honestly, with certainty, that we have to be getting to the end of that season called the church age. You, you got to know that, okay? I mean, obviously, we're closer than we were yesterday, <laughs> okay? And we're closer than we've ever been, not because of the days that have passed, but because of the things that are happening and have happened in our lifetime. And so as the world now shakes its fist at the plan and the, the objectives and the love and the patience of God, and, 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 and as we look at a world that becomes increasingly anti-Semitic or increasingly hateful toward Israel and the Jewish people, and it, you don't have to go to the Middle East to see that. You can turn on your television and see lunatics on college campuses and in cities around our country and around the world with these anti-Semitic posters. There's people in America who are going around painting the Star of David on Jewish people's household. We live in a country where Jewish people, many of them, some places are afraid to go outside. And meanwhile, you've got these college students who you would think by being accepted to the university, they would have a brain, but apparently not. 
And they have posters and they're shouting things like death to Israel. And they're in support of Hamas. Let me just tell you, Hamas is evil, okay? Are all Palestinians evil? No, no more than all uh, Jewish people are good, okay? They're all, for the most part, lost. Palestinians, Jews, Arabs, they're lost, okay? For the most part. There are some Messianic Jews, there's some Palestinian Jews, there's some Arab Jews, uh, excuse me, Christians, but there are, as a whole, they're, they're lost, okay? And, and so what Hamas did on October 7th is heinous and evil and of the devil. I'm going to give you one example. I listened to a guy named Amir Sarfati, okay? Hamas went in and videoed their activities, okay? Let me give you one that'll just make your skin curl. A group of soldiers penetrated the fence, came to a village. They broke into the home. That's who they killed. They killed people who were at a celebration, a concert, and then they went into homes and they killed senior adults, mothers, fathers, babies, little children. In this particular case, they go in, they tie the man to the chair, and he had to watch as they violated his wife. That's terrible, isn't it? Listen to this. Meanwhile, their baby was stuffed into an oven alive and turned on and baked to death. That's who we're talking about. Let me just tell you, if you think you're going to walk around up in here, around it where I'm at with a side pro of Hamas, you might get taken out. Okay, that's not a threat. I'm not saying I'm going to do it. I'm just saying anybody in the right mind knows that's wrong. That's evil. And you say, yeah, but now Israel is retaliating and there's little boys and girls of the Palestinian, of the Hamas family that are of nationality that are also being killed. Sure there are. It's war. And war is complicated. But let me tell you why so many children and families are being killed by Israel there in Gaza. Because Hamas built their headquarters under the hospital. They built their headquarters uh, next to a school because they, listen to me, Palestine as a whole, Hamas and all of those terrorist organizations, listen, they don't care about life. They, all they care about, their number one goal and agenda is to eradicate and eliminate the Jewish people in the Middle East and around the world. And if it means they've got to strap a bomb on a 10-year-old boy and send him in there to kill a few, it's a win. So don't be confused about what's going on, okay? You need to know and understand that they reject Israel. And so I want you to know where we stand. Uh, we support Israel. You see, we live in a cowardice world that refuses to stand for anything. I want you to know where I stand and where we will stand as a church. We support Israel. Now, now we love the, the Arabs. We love the Palestinians. We love Israel. We love them all. But we support Israel. And I'm going to give you a few reasons why we're pro-Israel. Why we're pro-Jewish people. Why we can't be silent. Why we can't be compromised. Why we can't be marginalized. Why we can't be passive about supporting Israel. Because... Number one, the world has taken a hostile position toward this race through anti-Semitism for centuries, okay? Even in America, our history includes anti-Semitism, where people hated Jews who were in our area, blamed them for the murder of Christ. Let me just clear that up right now. Jews did not kill Jesus. 
Rome did not kill Jesus. Let me just be honest. God the Father killed Jesus the Son. Scripture tells us that. He killed his own son on a cross to purchase redemption for all who would receive his grace gift. Why? Because he knew he's going to bring him right back to life. And he's going to put him in heaven and he's going to unite him with all of the redeemed. God has an amazing plan, even when it's difficult to understand. But I want you to know when the world as a whole stands against anything, I don't care what it is, when they stand against anything, that's a good trigger for us to say, yeah, I, need to, I need to investigate this a little bit because if the world stands for it, we probably stand against it. Why? Because Scripture says we are to be in the world and not of the world. We are not citizens of this world. If you're born again, you're truly a citizen of heaven just staying here until he takes you there, okay? And so we need to be careful with what the world the position the world takes. Number two, we support Israel because God blesses those who bless, who blesses Israel, and God curses those who curse Israel. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Then I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will exemplify divine blessing. He goes on, I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly I must curse so that all the families of the earth may receive blessing through you. And, and there's people sometimes that say, well, that's, that's, that, that was for Israel if they were obedient. God established the covenant with Israel. Not because Israel was great. Not because Israel was good. Not because Israel abided by the rules. God made a covenant because he needed a covenant with a people that he could bless the world through. And you listen to me. If you're saved today, if you're a Christian today, it's because of the covenant of God with the Jewish people, that final line, so that all the families of the earth may receive blessing through you. If you're saved today, that's what he's talking about. The blessing of salvation came through Israel, through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was a Jew. Amen? Now, so we support him for that. Also, we support Israel because God loves Israel through covenant, and you and I are required to love what God loves and to love our enemies. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. He has chosen you to be his people, prized above all others on the face of the earth. It is not because you were more numerous than all the other peoples of that the Lord favored and chose you? For in fact, you were the least numerous of all peoples. Rather, it is because of his love for you and his faithfulness to the promise that he solemnly vowed to your ancestors. God loves Israel. He loved them when he chose them as a vessel to introduce who he was to the world through. He loved them when he gave them the Messiah to come to this uh, world, to, to die on a cross, to pay our sin debt and offer us forgiveness and eternal life. He loved them in their rebellion when they were in captivity in Egypt. He loved them in their rebellion when they were in cap captivity to Assyria. He loved them when they were disobedient in captivity to the Babylonians. He loved them when they were in captivity to Rome. He loved them when they were in captivity to the Ottoman Empire. And it goes on and on. Why? Because they're great? No, because God is a God of covenant and faithfulness. And you and I are beneficiaries of that. You see, the same faithful covenant-making God that loves Israel he loves you that way. On your worst day, he keeps on loving you. He doesn't love you because you're worthy of it. He loves you because he's love. 
And we need to understand that so we love Israel because we love what God loves. Number four, we love Israel because God's provision of salvation is through Israel. What do I mean? Our faith originated through the Jewish nation. Jesus said, John 4, we worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. Jesus said it, makes it pretty true. Number two or B, we have a Jewish Bible that refers to Israel over 2,500 times. No, uh, thirdly, see, we have a Jewish Savior whose name is Jesus. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You're saved because of a Jew whose name was Jesus. We also have a God of covenant. And we learn that from the Jews. And, and we understand what that looks like, that God is in covenant with us. And he, he does not break covenant. He does not. And let me just say it. Israel will never go away. You may kill a 1,000 of them or 10,000 of them. Israel will never go away. God still has them written in his timeline. He's not finished. Now, they're hard-hearted, okay? And they reject the Messiah, but God's not finished with them. And there's some in here today. You're hard-hearted. You've rejected Jesus the Messiah. You've played at religion. You attend church. You talk a Jesus game, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. God is patient with you too. It's the nature of God, and we don't deserve it. So why else? Fifthly, we as a church are part of God's prophetic response to the world. When we read this book, all the prophecies, you go to the Old Testament you go to Revelation, you go to Jesus' speak, uh, uh, speaking about uh, prophetic events in the future, which is called eschatology, future events. We're included. Israel is all in it. I mean saturated in it. And we are saturated with it. When we read of the events in Revelation, it begins with the church, the letter to the seven churches. We're in the storyline. And so we support Israel because they're part of the storyline as well. So we support Israel. You got it? If you believe it, say amen. Okay, okay, that's enough. I just needed one. Now, when I was in Alabama, Alabama fans are huge fans, bigger than volunteer fans. I mean, they wear maroon underwear year-round, don't matter. It don't have to be game day. And a lot of times they wear the same. If they won, they wear them till they lose. It's weird. So they had this expression, I am for Alabama and whoever is playing Auburn, Okay. They loved Alabama that much, they hated Auburn that much. So where do we stand? As a church, we, uh, we are for Israel and anybody else who supports Israel. We're on the same team, okay? Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you understand why it's so important that we are that way in just a few minutes when we see uh, what this looks like tangibly. And so how do we support Israel? Oh, they, wait, we gotta sack up some groceries and send over there, okay? I would put, take up some money and send to Israel. What's your greatest warfare on behalf of Israel? It's on your knees. It's praying for Israel. It's praying for Palestine. It's praying for the Arabs. It's praying for Hamas. Whether they're our friend or foe, enemy or not, we are called and commanded and, 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 and challenged to love everybody. And I want you to understand something. How are we supposed to love somebody like that? It comes from a supernatural love. God deposits love in our life and in our heart when we're saved. And you better know, how does Hamas do the things they do? 
How can a Palestinian group strap bombs on a child and march them into Israel to blow themselves up and that be good? Because just like our God has deposited love in us, their God has deposited hate in them. And their God is who? Jesus said, you're either of my father or you are are of your father, the devil, and their father is the devil. And that kind of heinous activity is just evil. And it comes from the author of evil, who is Satan himself. So, when you hear conversations blaming Israel, there's people, I've read articles and seen these, these protesters say, Israel was attacked by Hamas and it's Israel's fault. That's a lie. That's of the devil. And, and so, as, as, a, as a church, don't, don't get into anti-Semitic jargon. Extinguish it. Raise your hand and say, you know what? That's not true. You know what? I, I'm not of that persuasion. I, you know, we live in a world full of terrorists. And, and, and Israel, are, they are not terrorists. They are people of God on the land God gave them fighting to survive. And so... We need to know where we stand. So in, in response to Hamas, Israel attacked. And there are people right now, Israel, they're killing. It's, it's, the, the, there needs to be a, a humanitarian uh, response because Israel's blasting Gaza and it's killing men and women and senior adults and babies and boys and girls, casualties of war. And, and, it's, and it's complicated. But you better know that if they don't extinguish Hamas, Hamas will not quit. They will keep doing what they did. Now, sometimes people will say, well, you know, there was only about 1,400 Jews that were killed on October 7th. I mean, we lost 3,000 on 9-11. Let's put it in perspective, okay? Based on po- demographics, the population of New York and, and the population of Israel, we lost 3,000. They lost 1,400. Based on proportion, that is equivalent to us losing 50,000 on 9-11. You get it? It's big. And I want you to understand what happened on October 7th put the world on the bubble. Put the world floating, wondering which way it's going to land. And I want you to know with certainty, all God has to do is, is allow the evil of one leader's heart to start throwing missiles at Israel, and we could easily be in World War III in a day. Do you know that? Do you realize that? It's, it's right there at the cusp. We could be literally in World War III in one day. Now, I don't want to leave you sitting there, okay? Because it's like, oh, you know, I need to get some things in order, you know? Well, we do need to have things in order with God. So, as our world begins, as continues to escalate in terms of its hatred, in terms of its evil, I want you to know that all of it, none of it is a surprise. I mean, don't think for a second that an angel came before the throne of God and said, God, those guys are hiding in tunnels below the hospital. Don't think that God got up and said, I didn't see them under the tunnel. I didn't see them at the hospital, you know. He knows exactly where they are. He knows exactly what's going on. And he's not surprised. These are called, Jesus called these birth pains. Birth pains are what a woman goes through before the birth, before something is delivered, okay? And it's brutal. Because of sin of Adam and Eve, women, it's, it's awful. 
I hear women talk about it. It was awful. I, I joke about it. I said, you ought to have to watch one of them things. They're giving the women drugs and epidural. The guy, all natural, has to watch the whole thing without any medication. Okay? It's brutal. Well, I want you to know what's going on, on this world, in this world right now is brutal. It is awful. It's birth pains. Birth pains for the delivery of something. The delivery is twofold. Jesus' second coming, returning to heaven with the church, and then pouring out wrath upon this earth. I'm telling you, birth pains are in place, and something big is, in fact, getting ready to happen. Now, if that, says, if that sounds pretty heavy to you, I'm a pretty upbeat guy normally, okay, just put you all in a state of depression, okay? If that's a little heavy for you, say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, me and you, okay? Well, it was heavy for me to say it. It was heavy for the Lord to give it to me. Okay, so let's take a breath. Everybody just take a breath. Let me be, let me be clear about this. No matter what the, happens in this world, if you're born again, you're a child of the most high God, okay? <laughs> no matter what you read on the internet, no matter what you hear from the news broadcast, no, what, no matter what you hear from something in our neighborhood, you hold your head up. You stand up strong and bold. Because your God has you in the palm of his hand. Just like he does the nation of Israel, Israel will not go away. They may be disciplined, they may be punished, they'll see casualties, but God has them in his hand and he has his church in the palm of his hand. Let me give you a, a, an encouraging psalm. If you ever need just to be lifted up a little bit, I'm reminded that at the end we win. Psalm chapter 37 says this. There's a lot of verses. I'm going to read a few. It says, do not fret when wicked men seem to succeed. Do not envy evildoers, for they will quickly dry up like grass and wither away like plants. Trust the Lord and do what is right. Settle in the land and maintain your integrity. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and he will answer your prayers. Commit your future to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act on your behalf. He will vindicate you in broad daylight and publicly defend your just cause. Wait patiently for the Lord. Wait confidently for him. Do not fret over the apparent success uh, of sinners. A man who carries out his wicked schemes, do not be angry and frustrated. Do not fret. That only leads to trouble. Wicked men will be wiped out, but those who rely on the Lord are the ones who will possess the land. Evil men will soon disappear. You will stand at the spot where they once were, but they will be gone. But the oppressed will possess the land and enjoy great prosperity. Evil men plot against the godly and viciously attack them. The Lord laughs in disgust at them, for he knows that their day is coming. So, so we hope. We can be encouraged. We win in the end. Now, let's put it in perspective. Let's dial it in a little bit. Where are we talking about? What are we talking about? Okay, let's show this map up here, guys. All right, does anybody see Israel? Now, I don't know how many of you are going to notice it, but see, you've got all this area right here. Notice it's misspelled. I didn't do that. Tanner didn't do that. Noah didn't. That's how it was on there, Okay. And they said, you want to try to change that or block that out? No. Why? Because it's real. <laughs> it's a real place. Listen to me. It's a real place that God established a covenant with mankind. 
And through that covenant, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a brutal wooden cross. And his blood shed on that cross was given to pay the penalty for the sins of mankind. They buried that Jewish man in a tomb, and on the third day he rose from the dead. He's still alive in heaven. His Holy Spirit is here, and he's coming again. And you better believe it's all real. It's real, okay? Now, let's move on. So here's why we support Israel. Israel is this part of this right here. And meanwhile, you got all of this. I want you to understand, all of this that's highlighted in red, except for this little spot in Israel, they are uh, Muslim, taken by force, required to become Islamic, and they absolutely detest the Jews who live on this little postage stamp of real estate called Israel. Now, why in the world... They became a state in 1948, okay? They divided this land. They gave part of it to Palestine, and they gave part of it to Israel in 1948. And so for 75 years, they're still alive. Why? Because God didn't pick them because they were them or them. God picked them because their weakness is how he would reveal his power, okay? And they're still standing strong. Uh, to this day, uh, we'll talk about it in a minute, Th that people accomplish things that no nation that size should ever accomplish. And, and, and Palestine, who are these people around them in here and right down here and some over in here, their motto is death to Israel. They, they won't be happy until Israel is wiped from the planet, okay? That is very real. And they live right there with them it's written in their propaganda and so so how let's put it in perspective how big is the area that's designated that's that's lebanon right there jordan right there israel palestine that's the gaza strip right there okay uh this is sinai peninsula which is owned by egypt now how how much land does, does israel have i mean they are a world power how much land do they have they have 8,000 square miles. You say, how big is that? Tennessee has 41,000 square miles. So they're a fifth of Tennessee. New Jersey has 7,300 square miles. So it's about like New Jersey. Can you imagine New Jersey being a world power? They can't even vote on the right president. Okay? So, so that's what we're talking about. Now, what about the word Palestinians? What about the word Palestine? Well, we were here first. That's what it kind of, that's the argument. We've been here all along. Palestine was, on, was only a state named in 184 AD. Emperor Hadrian, a, a Roman emperor, hated Israel for their rebellion. And so he renamed their land Palestina after the nemesis of Israel, the Philistines. And so for years... People were Arabs, Jews, uh, lived in that area. Even Jews were called Palestinians. They were all Palestinians. But then they divided them and gave them each land. And so even that holds no water. I want you to understand something. We don't support Israel because they are the underdogs. We support Israel because the, they are the under gods. Okay? They are under God and we support them. And all of these other people are not under our God. Okay, they're under Allah. 
under the prophet Muhammad. And so we support them because they are under God. And God made a covenant. Scripture says when God's name is connected to something, he stands by it until the end. He cannot go back on his word. And so even though Israel is so small, and even though their population, even worldwide, is so small, how do we know that God has his hand on them? Number one, they hold a disproportionate percentage of the wealth of the world. A, dis, a, a vast disproportionate percentage of the wealth of the world. Number two, they have a dis, disproportionately higher IQ and academic prowess than the world at large. They're smarter than the rest of us. Why? Because they've fought for everything they have. They've taken their resources and saved them and invested them and invested in education while we're driving fancy cars and building bigger houses. They, they, God has his hand on them. Number three, they have a disproportionate amount of Nobel Prize laureates or awardees. You look at all the Nobel Prizes, there's a disproportionate percentage of them who are Jewish. I mean, a good one, Albert Einstein, he's a pretty sharp guy, okay? I mean, that's what we're talking about. Even their military is beyond what it should be for their size. During the, uh, the war that's going on right now, when Israel was being bombed, they unleashed a new uh, warfare, laser warfare, created in Israel, introduced to the world as a, as a product in 2014. It wasn't supposed to be used but they opened up this thing, and it's like the gold dome. It protects the close missiles from coming in. Okay, I got this, I got this laser right here. I, I went this morning to get a laser at CVS. I said, do you all have laser pointers? You know what they told me? We have cat toys. The laser, tell me this is not cool. I could put your eye out with this thing if I wanted to. And if you go to CVS, it's lowered to a cat toy now. Eh. So I got this little laser here, you know. Israel has laser beams that shoot missiles out of the sky connected to computers that run through all these algorithms, determine the flight of the missile, and blast them out of the sky like Star Wars. You know why? Because they're Jews. Because God has his hand on them. Because God said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to give that to anybody. It's just a matter of time where it goes from Vertical to horizontal, and they just start lasering people. I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm, you think I'm making this up. I'm not making it up. I didn't make up the story about CVS and the cat toy, and I ain't making this up. Okay? God has his hand on these people. These people are amazing. They're special. They're in covenant. God is in covenant with them, and we support Israel. And there comes a time when all of us need to stand for something. We live in a church age and a church culture where people refuse to stand, even church pulpits, they refuse to stand on the truth and, and put their foot down in opposition to the LGBTQ plus and, and because it's not PC, it's not politically correct and they don't want to say anything about identity crisis and transgenderism. They want, don't want to talk about the inerrancy of scripture. They don't want to plant, plant their feet on supporting Israel in this war. They don't stand for anything. And there's a great phrase, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And so we as a church, we need to stand for something. 
And we need to stand for what we believe in. And we believe that although Israel is not always right and Palestinians are not always wrong, we need to stand for Israel because their goal is to eliminate that whole area. Now, what about that land? Whose is it? You ready? I already know. You ready? God's. That land is God's. The big red area is God's. This pulpit, everything's God's. Scripture tells us in Psalm 24, the Lord owns the earth and all it contains, the world and all who live in it. For he set its foundation upon the seas and established it upon the ocean currents. It's all God's, Yahweh God. Number two, God determines our time and our place. He knows exactly what's going on right now, right there. He knows exactly what's going to happen tomorrow and a thousand years from now, whatever that looks like. Acts chapter 17, 26. From one man, he made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and their fixed limits of the places where they would live. Did you know you live in Knox County or Anderson County or surrounding county because God has ordained that for you? He knows exactly where you live. He established your place. Number three, God promised Israel a land. That's why they're there. Palestinians say, this is not your land. Go look at the archaeology uh, results. Go to, the, go to the pyramids and see where Israel is mentioned in their hieroglyphics or whatever that's called. It tells you Israel was there. 3,500 years of history, Israel being there. Have they been displaced? Many times. But that is the, law, the land that God gave them that Joshua, after Moses, led them into. Genesis 12 says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Also, Israel will never go away. They're never going to go away. Genesis 15, 18 says, That day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River. In fact, their land, although may decrease for a while, ultimately their land will expand just as God has established the parameters. So let me be clear. Israel, are they always right? No. Is Palestine always wrong? No. They're all living through, looking through the lenses of a worldview because none of them, for the most part, know the true and living God through Jesus Christ, his son. And that is why we pray. All of this land, the big areas, they're Ishmaelites, right? Remember Abraham, Abram and Sarah wanted to have a baby and, and they were old. God said, I'm going to give you a son. Well, it ain't happening. So Sarah had a good idea. Hey, Abram, get with our handmaid and have a baby with her, and we'll get the party started. Well, that wasn't God's plan. That was the baby of impatience. They're Ishmaelites. These guys are Ishmaelites. These guys are Ishmaelites. These guys right here are Isaacites. That's the only ones. Israel, the only ones that are under the covenant through Isaac, Abraham, and Sarah's child. All right, we're almost finished. We're almost finished, okay? I got a little video I want you to, to, to watch, and this will help kind of sum it up, and we'll be done. Let's show the video. When I did my graduate studies at the Middle East Institute at Columbia University's School of International Affairs, I took many courses on the question of the Middle East conflict. Semester after semester, we studied the Middle East conflict as if it was the most complex conflict in the world when in fact, it is probably the easiest conflict in the world to explain. It may be the hardest to solve, but it is the easiest to explain. In a nutshell, it's this. One side 
wants the other side dead. Israel wants to exist as a Jewish state and to live in peace. Israel also recognizes the right of Palestinians to have their own state and to live in peace. The problem, however, is that most Palestinians and many other Muslims and Arabs do not recognize the right of the Jewish state of Israel to exist. This has been true since 1947, when the United Nations voted to divide the land called Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab state. The Jews accepted the United Nations partition, but no Arab or any other Muslim country accepted it. When British rule ended on May 15, 1948, the armies of all the neighboring Arab states, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Transjordan, and Egypt, attacked the one-day-old state of Israel in order to destroy it. But to the world's surprise, the little Jewish state survived. Then it happened again. In 1967, the dictator of Egypt, Gamal Abdel Nasser, announced his plan, in his words, to destroy Israel. He placed Egyptian troops on Israel's border, and armies of surrounding Arab countries were also mobilized to attack. However, Israel preemptively attacked Egypt and Syria. Israel did not attack Jordan and begged Jordan's king not to join the war. But he did. And only because of that did Israel take control of Jordanian land, specifically the West Bank of the Jordan River. Shortly after the war, the Arab states went to Khartoum, Sudan, and announced their famous three no's. No recognition, no peace, and no negotiations. What was Israel supposed to do? Well, one thing Israel did a little more than a decade later in 1978 was to give the entire Sinai Peninsula an area of land bigger than Israel itself and with oil back to Egypt because Egypt, under new leadership, signed a peace agreement with Israel. So Israel gave land for the promise of peace with Egypt, and it has always been willing to do the same thing with the Palestinians. All the Palestinians have ever had to do is recognize Israel as a Jewish state and promise to live in peace with it. But when Israel has proposed trading land for peace, as it did in 2000, when it agreed to give the Palestinians a sovereign state in more than 95% of the West Bank and all of Gaza, the Palestinian leadership rejected the offer and instead responded by sending waves of suicide terrorists into Israel. Meanwhile, Palestinian radio, television, and school curricula remain filled with glorification of terrorists, demonization of Jews, and the daily repeated message that Israel should cease to exist. So it's not hard to explain the Middle East dispute. One side wants the other dead. The motto of Hamas, the Palestinian rulers of Gaza, is, we love death as much as the Jews love life. There are 22 Arab states in the world, stretching from the Atlantic Ocean to the Indian Ocean. There is one Jewish state in the world, and it is about the size of New Jersey. In fact, tiny El Salvador is larger than Israel. Finally, think about these two questions. If tomorrow Israel laid down its arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? And if the Arab countries around Israel laid down their arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? In the first case, 
there would be an immediate destruction of the state of Israel and mass murder of its Jewish population. In the second case, there would be peace the next day. As I said at the outset, it is a simple problem to describe. One side wants the other dead. And if it didn't, there would be peace. Please remember this. There has never been a state in the geographic area known as Palestine that was not Jewish. Israel is the third Jewish state to exist in that area. There was never an Arab state, never a Palestinian state, never a Muslim or any other state. That's the issue. Why can't the one Jewish state the size of El Salvador be allowed to exist? That is the Middle East problem. I'm Dennis Prager. And so there we have it. Sometimes we just need to pick sides. I, I get frustrated sometimes. Well, I just don't want to pick a side, which is picking the side of being a coward. You know, in Nazi Germany, Sunday mornings would come, and there were churches all along the highways that led from that led to the uh, to the camps where they would exterminate Jews by the hundreds of thousands, ultimately millions. They would be on rail cars, and the rail cars would travel by the churches on Sundays when the churches were having church services. And they preached the word, and they sang songs, and meanwhile, hundreds of thousands of Jews were being transported to a camp to be gassed or stood along a mass grave and shot to their death, and the church sang hymns. And we don't want to be that church. I mean, we want to be a church that sings and worships and preaches the word, but we want to be a church that loves the right things. And we love Israel because God loves Israel. We love Israel because they're not the underdogs, but they're under God. We love Israel because Israel wants peace in a world that wants no peace. Now, this is, a heavy, this is heavy stuff, and, and I really mean what I say. I, I'm confident that we are at a different place that this world may have ever been before because it's the end of the season, the end of the dispensation, and things in the place that matters most to God is in turmoil. And at any moment, I truly believe that we could be thrust into a whole different level of war than, than most of us have ever known. And so how do we live in this world uh, as a Christian? Well, hopefully next Sunday we'll talk about how we, with, with the imminent return of Jesus, how we're supposed to conduct our lives. But I put some verses here just to help us focus and get our, to draw us back to a place where we can hold our heads up in confidence in God. Romans 13, 11 says, Do this because we know the time that is already the hour for us to awake from sleep. For our salvation is now nearer than when we became believers. And that's true. Jude, verse 20 and 21 says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, maintain yourselves in the love of God, while anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. Isaiah the prophet 26.3 says, You keep completely safe the people who maintain their faith, for they trust in you. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait for the Lord's help find renewed strength. They rise up as if they had eagle's wings and they run without growing weary and they walk without getting tired. 
Proverbs 4, 25. Keep your head up. Keep your eyes straight ahead and your focus fixed on what is in front of you. Take care that you don't stray from the straight path the way of truth and you will safely reach the end of your road do not veer off course to the right or to the left but stay away from evil and leave it behind and my favorite verse to encourage our hearts john the revelator inspired by the holy spirit gives us this in revelation 19 11. then i saw heaven opened and here came a white horse the one riding it was called faithful and true and with justice he judges and goes to war and that is jesus and that is the author and finisher of our faith. And that is how we know in the end, church, we win. Amen? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today, and you don't know for certain that if Jesus came back today or this world came to an end today, that you would spend eternity in heaven with God. Because although you may have a form of religion, uh, you may know the facts uh, about Jesus. You've never allowed him to enter into your heart. You've never received his gift. How do you do that? You repent. What we've learned in Acts, you simply say, God, I want to change my mind, which leads to me changing the direction of my life. I don't want to live for me or this world anymore. I want to live for you. And so I want Jesus to come into my life, forgive my sin, wash me clean, and be my Lord forever. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And he'll save you. And he will adopt you into God's forever family. Now most of us have already done that. So what is our challenge for today? You ready? There's a world out there that needs to hear the story of Jesus. And you hold it within your heart. And there's a world on the other side of this globe who is in distress right now. Both Palestinians and Israelites who have lost family members, loved ones, and they don't know what tomorrow holds. You can do battle on their behalf in prayer. And so I want to challenge you to pray for the people of the Middle East. Father, we thank you for helping us see, hopefully with clarity, what you already see all the time. We thank you, God, that there are no surprises in heaven. You know it all before it takes place. And we just celebrate your greatness because of that. But God, each one of us has a responsibility, a responsibility to be witnesses to the world, the story of Jesus. God, we have a responsibility to pray and to love what, what it is that you love. So God, we do pray for Israel. We do pray for Palestine. We do pray for those surrounding uh, Islamic areas, God. We pray that your Holy Spirit would, would, uh, would dive into that and radically change lives before you come for your church. And God, we pray that every day we will hold our heads up because we are children of the Most High God through Jesus, your Son. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.